great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday night, uh, one day early as the Bills. They gave us a little bit of news today to talk about. So it's the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast in your life, as always, whenever there is something to talk about Bills related. I am Matt Perino, uh, and I'm joined today by Heather Pruchak from uh, Channel uh, 4 in Buffalo, WIVB. She's sitting in for Ryan Talbot today, who's traveling back after a two-week vacation um, I know a lot of you uh, have been talking about his lighting situation on vacation, so he's going to be back <laughs> only in, so hopefully it'll be figured out. We can see Heather very clearly. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a crazy couple of days, but, you know, finally starting to calm down in the sense of off the field a little bit. And, you know, now that we got the roster, I'm just ready to get to next Thursday. Like, I'm just, I'm ready for the season to start. I'm over preseason. That's in the books now. Like, I'm I'm ready. I'm so ready. Uh, we were just talking about that before we went on. I mean, we get to this part of the year and it's a lot of projection and talking about what could be. Now we're going to talk about what is i'm excited for that as well uh before we get going too far along here if you're watching on youtube thank you hit that like button subscribe to the show as well it really helps us out we're brought to you by tops friendly markets uh barbecues tailgating or on a road trip to see your favorite team wherever the football season finds you make sure to stop at tops for your best deals in town from fresh meat to locally grown produce tops has everything you need and so much more for meal time snack time or anytime tops at your table since 1962. I'm going to let you set the table here. Uh, Heather Prusak guests of the show get to uh, start us off here. So what was your biggest takeaway uh, looking at that, uh, this initial 53 man roster? You know, I mean, when you look at the roster and the guys they cut and, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be back on the practice squad. Um, but, you know, when you look at the cuts, like there weren't really too many like surprises. I think one of the big I'll say big name because I don't think it was a surprise um, as far as on the field. But, you know, O.J. Howard is obviously the name that pops up as one of the guys that they cut. And from a from a pure football standpoint and what we saw this summer and what we saw this preseason I wasn't surprised that they cut him from that standpoint because we didn't really see too much of him. He didn't really flash Mm -hmm. at all. He didn't, you know, wasn't one of those guys that really stood out or, you know, you went into the season thinking like, man, that's someone that they really need on their roster. And, um, you know, he could really make a difference uh, on this team. So I wasn't surprised from a football standpoint. I more so thought they were going to keep him just because of, the debt, you know, the dead money, the dead cap, you know, from, from a financial standpoint, I thought they were going to keep him. But then again, you know, Brandon Bean, he's, he puts the football side of thing first and first in the sense of like, if he's going to take a roster spot and even though the money, it might not be favorable to cut him. um, They want that for somebody that could actually make an impact. So from my financial standpoint, I was surprised that they cut him, not necessarily from what we've seen this summer. Isaiah Hodgins is another guy that he's someone that I actually thought was going to make this roster. I know how much they love Jake Kumaro for what he does on special teams. 
if they were going to go with seven, I thought maybe, you know, he'd be that, that last, one of those last guys in. I really, really liked what we saw from him throughout these preseason games and the fact that he's finally healthy. He just hasn't had a fair shake, really. He's just been hampered with injuries his first two seasons and, you know, hasn't really been able to show what he can do. So I really liked what we saw so far from him. Um, But other than, you know, maybe those two names, nothing really major. I mean, you know, Tredavious White started on the pup list. Obviously, that's a blow, but, you know, nobody expected Trey to be ready for the first couple games. It was more of, I think this is obviously a better indicator of where the team actually thinks he is in his recovery. The fact that he put him on, they put him on pup and not, IR after the fact because he can't he can't even practice during the four weeks that he's out so that says a lot about the fact that he really is still um you know on the grind of that recovery so I don't think we're gonna see him until you know maybe week seven or maybe week six maybe after the bye week because if he can't practice for four weeks they're not just going to throw him out there the first game that he's eligible to come back. So obviously that's, that's a huge blow. You know, those are the things that stood out, but other than that, you know, no, no, no real surprises or, you know, major glaring things when you look at the cuts and when you look at the initial 53 man roster that they put out. All great observations, takeaways. I want to kind of dive into them all separately here really quick, because I want to start on Howard because I would love to have heard the conversation behind closed doors when they were kind of figuring out this decision because they were high on him when they signed him. Obviously they committed uh, almost $4 million to him and the dead money that you referred to. It's going to be over 3 million, close to 3.3 over the next two seasons. Um, That's a lot of money to just eat. Now, It's spent either way. So maybe we were a little bit too hung up on the details of that because whether or not he's on the roster, you're spending the money anyway. And it might be a situation where you're better off with the alternatives, Tommy Sweeney and Quentin Morris. And also the fact that you just probably are not going to get one or both of them back. There's a a really good chance, Heather, that they cut Tommy Sweeney uh, and or Quentin Morris and they don't get both of them back. And so I think this was a situation where they wanted to make sure that the, the guys that they felt most comfortable in their system with what they can do, they were on the roster. You know, we talked to Quentin Morris today. This guy has been an absolutely versatile new piece to their offense. He's played the most special team snack snaps of anybody on this roster throughout the preseason. So, okay, that's a check mark. Obviously, he showed off what he can do in that department. They use him as a fullback against the Carolina Panthers. He's almost kind of becoming maybe that Reggie Gilliam, uh, you know, uh, Swiss Army knife that they can kind of throw into different situations. He's a former wide receiver, so he can line up out wide. He can line up at tight end. He said he worked all offseason on blocking. And Tommy Sweeney's been in this offense for four years. So I think it was a situation was that was when we got to training camp was if OJ Howard doesn't come in here and absolutely blow us away, it's going to be Tommy Sweeney and or Quentin Morris ended up being both. Yeah. And I think too, like there's, there's a lot to be said about the fact, you know, they, they drafted Tommy Sweeney. I mean, like we know how much Brandon Bean values, you know, the guys that he brings in the guys that they draft and, you know, also I know that, you know, this obviously isn't the end all be all, but, like when you talk about Tommy Sweeney, he's such a, you know, you hear like glue, you know, uh, phrases like glue guys and, um, you know, uh, like big character guys and, and locker room guys, like everybody in that locker room loves Tommy Sweeney. So like that helps tip the scale. Again, I'm not saying that that's exactly why he made this roster over OJ Howard, 
but it certainly helps a guy who's been here throughout his whole career up to this point. Um, an interesting point on Quentin Morris too. He's a guy that up until this preseason, you know, not a lot of fans had ever really heard of him. I actually mm-hmm. did a story. I did a story last like September or October because one of the assistant coaches, Sophia Lewin, she's no longer with the team anymore, but she was an assistant last year. Um, She was an offensive assistant. She primarily worked with the tight ends. And one of the players that she worked pretty closely with was Quentin Morris. And it was really interesting hearing him talk about their relationship because they both were in this new role together. Like, like they both came in as like, you know, as rookies and they were both new and they were both going through learning things together at the same time. And so to just hear the two of them and to hear a coach that's worked very closely with Quentin Morris, just hearing her talk about his personality, his work habits, um, his work ethic, you know, things like they would quiz each other and, you know, constantly find ways to, even if they're just like sitting around at lunch, like, you know, do flashcards or do this or do that. Like, I know I'm talking a lot about their their personalities when it comes to Tommy Sweeney and Quentin Morris and not necessarily from a football stance. But just every time I hear that name, I just think about those conversations that I had mm-hmm. um, with former assistant Sophia Lewin. And it was just really interesting to hear her perspective on a guy that no one had really heard of up until this point. And I do think that, you know, age plays a factor into it. But But yeah, I just... I don't think that they were going to get one of if both of them back, if they end up cutting them. And then you're in a situation where you say, okay, well, OJ Howard hasn't come in here and and blown us all away. Uh, Not to mention there's, you look at the writing to me was a little bit on the wall too. You look at the, the amount of snaps he was playing late in some of these preseason games. It's a great point. It just showed that they weren't sold on him and you know even like you know before was it last season when they they signed Jacob Hollister and they ended up Mm -hmm. then cutting him too before the season started so they're looking for something particular and it shows that hey if if you don't come in here and we're not satisfied just because you're a veteran or we signed you or whatever the case may be like it's not it's, it's not a lock from that standpoint you know how like really organized people uh, that will have post-it pads by their desk and they'll just put up little post-its all over so they can kind of remember things. I'm putting up a post-it on my desk down here in my office and it's going to say, do not overvalue the preseason or training camp. So I can remember that next year and we don't kind of get ourselves too far down the road. And that brings me to the guy I want to talk about next. And it's Isaiah Hodgins, who I've been very high on through this whole process. He's really impressed me during training camp and preseason so much so that I was on the verge of giving him that roster spot. And then over the course of the last week, I kind of like stepped back. I, I listened to Brandon Bean talk. Um, uh, I think it was his last availability, not the the Ariza press conference. And about what it's going to take for what well, they traded Cody Ford, about what it's going to take to you know make this roster. And also just thinking about like how much more open Brandon Bean has been the last year to two years in moving on from his draft picks. If they don't work out. And I think Isaiah Hodgins was obviously trending in the right direction. The problem is there just was no path to playing time for him. In a lot of ways, it's, it's similar to Cody Ford. There was no path to starting on this current iteration of the roster. And so they just decided instead of having him be maybe 
a malcontent behind the starting five. We're just going to ship him out. The Hodgins thing is different because I think there might be a chance that he gets back on the practice squad. If the Giants scooped him, if another team scooped him that really liked him, it wouldn't surprise me. But it was just a situation where where is he going to play on offense? You're not going to play him as one of your top special teams guy like you are with Jake Kumaro if he's on the roster. And so they just decided – all right, we'll chance Isaiah Hodgins because there was other pockets of this roster that they had to protect, cornerback being one of them. Yeah, it kind of, um, you know, when you talk about core special teams, guys, obviously Taiwan Jones is one of the first guys that you think of because even though technically on the roster he's listed as a running back, you kind of have to, like, you kind of have to think of him in the category of a special teamer first. And I can't remember who's, there was a mock draft, or not mock draft, <laughs> No, we're not there yet. Uh, there was a there was a fifty three man projection that I read someone and someone had them cutting Taiwan Jones and mm-hmm. I just kind of laughed because I'm like, no, like they they value we know how much they value special teams and being good in that area. So when you talk about Taiwan Jones, like he's a special team guy first. He's he's a specialist first. And I think that that's where Jake Kumaro kind of falls in because yes, he can contribute on offense if needed. He has, you know, when they're at a pinch, he's come in, he's made some plays, but like he's his value to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott is on special teams. And I think that if, you know, by some chance too, like Isaiah Hodgins was better in that area or had more experience, he might have a leg up, but like Brandon Bean has said point blank, like if you are not one of our frontline starters, I think like word for word, he said like frontline starters, then you better be good and better be contributing in, you know, all phases when it comes to special teams. And that's where, you know, that in in combination with there just there wasn't there wasn't any playing time for him. I mean, you look at all the weapons that. Josh Allen has at his disposal when it comes to wide receivers. Uh, you know, now even when you talk about like possibly integrating James Cook into the passing game and utilizing him in that role, and then um, you know, Dawson Knox and just all of the guys that he has around him, you know, I again, I like you, I was very high on Isaiah Hodgins. I really, really liked what he put on tape. Um, but just unfortunately, this really is, and it, it sounds cliche but it really does just come down to a numbers game. I mean, we knew that good players were not going to make this roster. That's just, you know, that's, but it's, I mean, it's a good problem to have. Alex says that it's bizarre to keep Kumaro. No one is going to claim him. And again, I think some people just, it, it, it's, it's, it's tough to, 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 to think of it in this case sometimes when you're trying to put as much value on the offense as you can. And the problem is you have to almost view it like the coaching staff does. Special teams is is one third of the operation, right? Especially with Sean McDermott. He really values that part of the game. I was talking to Jay Kumaro uh, yesterday, the first day we we're back in the, in the open locker room. And I was like, man, I mean, this has got to be old hat for you at this point. He's like, yeah, this is my eighth NFL or ninth NFL season. I've done this now nine times, gone through training camp in a preseason and you just develop uh, a kind of psyche and ability to focus on the day to day, every rep, every moment on the practice field, they have cameras all over that field. They're watching these guys every, every second of every day with what they do, what they're putting on tape. And I think Jape Kumro is just, he's just that embodiment of consistency and they want to be able to trust somebody. I mean, we saw a couple of times in the play or in the preseason, their coverage teams look a little bit 
iffy. Yeah. And I mean, you, and that's the thing. It's like, it's easy if you're on the outside and, and, you know, even sometimes us in the, in the media can be this way. But if, you know, if you're a fan, you're looking at this sort of as like black and white of like, there's offense, there's defense and that's it. And, you know, there's so much that happens behind closed doors and there's so many things that they go through, not to mention a vet that's been in the system that's been in the NFL that knows this, that you don't have to sit there and it's someone like Isaiah Hodgins and like, you know, get him up to speed when it comes to learning all of the nuances that goes on with special teams. Um, it's just also, you know, you might sit there and say, well, no one's going to claim Jake Kumaro. I mean, that's, we don't know that. We don't know. I mean, the same way that these guys go through everything with a fine tooth and comb of what players are doing day in and day out at practice, like, other teams are looking at everything that every other team does. So it's a tough break for a guy like Isaiah Hodgins. But, um, you know, I also can't say that I'm surprised because they value special teams so much in this regime. Mm -hmm. uh, another guy that played a ton of special teams, I want to talk about him a little bit, is um, Nick McLeod this preseason. A guy that I think most people thought was going to be on the roster here. We saw most of the, the 53 was out of practice today in some former fashion. Uh, Nick McLeod, we got a chance to talk to him in the in the uh, locker room after practice and asking him, like, what does it feel like to, to have made the team, like implying so. And he started talking about it. And now it's kind of looking back, it's kind of awkward yeah. because he wasn't a, on the final 53. But it might have been a situation where – that camp competition, that preseason competition went all the way down to the wire between him and Cam Lewis. And Lewis just has more NFL experience, a, an extra year in this defense. They, they've splashed him back there at safety as well. They try to put those guys all over the place. I think it was just, if you release Cam Lewis, he's going to be a 100% uh, somebody's going to claim him. I heard last year, the reason he spent so much time on the regular roster last year is because they were worried about chancing it on the practice squad with him a year ago. And I just think he's a little bit further along. Yeah, I do too. I really like what, what Cam Lewis has done. And the fact that he's been able to show his versatility in the secondary and a secondary that, you know, there's so many questions right now. Obviously we know Trey White's going to miss at least the first uh, four games this season but a secondary that has dealt with injuries, dealt with a bunch of injuries this preseason. Um, the fact that he can play outside, we've seen him get snaps at nickel. He's played safety. The fact that he's able to bounce around there is so beneficial. And that also gives him such a leg up now going into his fourth season. The fact that he's, you know, he's been in the system. He knows he knows the deal there. Um, I, I'm really happy for a guy like Cam Lewis. And honestly, like, you know, it's just cool for him. A UB guy graduated from UB. You know, I think it's, it's easy for a lot of fans to root for a guy like that too, but I really like what Cam Lewis did. In that DB room, the bills keep six instead of seven uh, at cornerback, uh, which, which I, what I first thought when we watched practice today, obviously the four safeties, not a surprise there, but you mentioned Trey White at the top, him going to be, uh, be on pop list. He'll miss at least the first four games. What is your level of concern about that group as a whole? How do you expect it to play out when they do get to week one? What, who are the starters? Do they play the whole time against the Rams? And you know, wh where are you at with the whole Trey White story? Because right now with him not having stepped foot on a practice field in a football type of situation this entire offseason and training camp preseason I still think there might be ways to go here yeah I mean it's it's definitely still concerning I mean the fact that you're missing your star cornerback your shutdown corner for and again as I mentioned at the top it's 
it's at least four weeks. And I say at least because he, he's not eligible for the first four weeks, the opener and then against the Titans and then uh, at Miami at Baltimore. But throughout that, I mean, he can't even practice during this time. So the fact that, you know, when he is eligible to return, he's going to need some ramp up period. They're not just going to mm-hmm. throw him out there after a week of practice and say, okay, now go play in a game. So we could be looking at him potentially missing, you know, five, six. I mean, I'm, I'm not a doctor here and I don't know where exactly he's at in his rehab, but you know, he could be missing a, a good chunk of the, you know, starting portion of the year, which is extremely concerning. And, and you also don't want to have him have any setbacks. I think I saw someone on Twitter say, you know, oh man, that just cost us a one seed. The fact that, you know, Tredavious White isn't going to be on the field. You know, it, it's a blow, but they're not going to put him out there if they think that that is going to further damage him in, you know, later in the season come December, January. I mean, they're in it for mm-hmm. the long haul. So you're not, they're not going to put him out there if he is not a hundred percent. And Brandon Mead even said in his, uh, you know, press conference last week or, you know, when they traded Cody Ford, that like we're trying to like run out the clock here on this. So they must have waited until the absolute last, you know, second to make this decision. Now, as far as the guys they have right now, they're going to have to rely on Dane Jackson and then Kyrie Elam to help fill the void when it comes to cornerback. I wouldn't be surprised just given how Kyrie Elam is really going to be thrown into the fire. You know, we thought that, you know, him being a first round pick, even if Trey was healthy, you figured he was going to start given where he was drafted, um, given all of that. But now he's really thrown into the fire even more because he doesn't have Tredavious White on the other side to, you know, help kind of counter that that a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if we even saw maybe like a by committee sort of a thing where like if if Kyrie's out there, he made you know, he did make a couple really nice plays throughout these preseason games. He had a couple nice pass breakups, you know, his coverage at time was really, really good. But then as a rookie, there were some times that he just got flat out beat bad. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's going to be expected as a rookie. So I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe try to do it a little bit by committee and kind of see how the games are and say, all right, well, we're going to throw you out there. See how you do. If you're kind of up and down, if you're struggling a little bit, like, hey, maybe we'll throw, you know, Christian Benford out there or another guy. Or again, you've got Cam Lewis, like maybe it's a by committee type of a thing if Kyrie's kind of struggling a little bit. We know that opposing quarterbacks, they're going to target the rookie corners. And Mm -hmm. if he's going to be out there and it's going to be, you know, you're like, man, he really, he's really having a tough time out there. That's something that we could see too. And who knows, maybe he goes out there and he completely lights it up. We just don't know. Um, Like I said, up and down in the preseason games, We'll see what happens when we, you know, get to next Thursday. One point I saw made on Twitter, and I agree, is that the Bills don't face a ton of high octane pass offenses out of the out of the shoot. I mean, you could maybe make an argument for Miami a little bit if you know Tyreek Hill gets going and everything like that. But 
you know, they still have two and I still have questions about that. They're going to start with the Rams who have a really great pass offense, but guess what? Their best receiver is Cooper cup. He's probably going to see mostly Taron Johnson in that game. So you still have an elite level cornerback to throw at him. Now, how does Dane Jackson hold up in that front? Well, he's had a whole off season to get ready for this. He played a lot of important snaps for them a year ago. You expect him to take a step forward and it's not all going to be on these guys. Also, that's a part of this. It's like, they went out and they signed Von Miller for a reason to benefit that secondary. I think what could happen early on in this season is if this Bills defense gets the kind of pass rush that it's expecting from these nine guys that they kept, they're going to be rotating them in and out. I think they're going to get more pressure from the interior. That's going to benefit these guys in the secondary. If they're getting takeaways, you know, they still have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer back there. Poyer's projected to be ready for week one. If you're getting takeaways with this group, just think about the kind of confidence that they're going to be playing with when Trey White gets back and you never know whenever he does get back I don't know how ready he's going to be from the jump to go 100% for 60 70 snaps a game it might be a situation where he comes back and he's in a bit of a a timeshare rotation and it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for me if Christian Benford and Kyer Elam have some type of like uh rotation as well it's it's an interesting like line or like uh, to where you sit on the fence, right? Because on one side, you probably want to show that you have faith and trust in your first round cornerback, give him the job, give him the um, assignment and send him out there and let him go to work. But on the other hand, you've got a young player in Benford who's looked so good. You probably want to see them him out there for splashes just to see what it looks like. Maybe you do something where you rotate the three of them around, even bringing yeah. Dane Jackson out for a series or two. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking is like, it's like almost this like by committee approach kind of a thing. And it, you know, where they, again, they could split time. And, you know, as you mentioned, like, Trey could be on a pitch count. So it's really important that these guys kind of go out there and if they can start up and, you know, maybe get in a groove a little bit and, you know, all it takes really, especially for these young guys, all it really takes is like, Hey, you have one good play. And that just, that's such a confidence booster, um, especially in week one, right out the jump there. Um, but this defensive line, to your point of that, like that is supposed, that is why they went out and completely revamped this defensive line, not to mention like Ed Oliver is only going to benefit from the fact that they signed Von Miller. Ed Oliver should have an absolute monster season. So um, there's guys up front, like that sets the tone. And if that pass rush can get going and really rattle, you know, some of these opposing quarterbacks that they're going to see and kind of shut down anything like, you know, that's only going to benefit these guys on the back end there. Speaking of benefits, I mean, it benefits everybody to get over to your hometown team at Value Home Centers. Going on right now, it's your last chance to stock up on summer outdoor essentials. Shop outdoor furniture, fire pits, tables, grills, garden tools, outdoor decor. I know we got uh, your husband, John Scott, in the back uh, grilling on the regular. Uh, he's a big summer guy. So, listen, I think he's got to get over to uh, to Value and and make sure that, you know, sets things up back there a little bit. I don't know. Actually, you got to update me on this. I don't know if I've been back there in a few months. How has he updated the decor back there since he spent so much time out there? You know what? It's for us. It's more about the landscaping, the landscaping Mm. in our backyard, even the front yard, too. But like the landscaping, we've really got to address. We said we were going to do it this summer. We moved into our house in February of 2021. Got most of the inside kind of where we want it to be. We said we were going to address the landscaping. And then it's just. I mean, you know how this works. Like you just, you get busy, whatever. So I think we're going to try to 
set something up with like one of the local landscaping companies and get something on the books for like early, you know, spring of next year. So we can finally, cause here's the thing. Like when you look at the front, it's not terrible. It's just, we'd like to update Mm -hmm. it. The back needs some work. Um, you know, there's, there's like this weird, like cement thing. I mean, you know what I'm talking about by the grill. There's like this weird, like, like bricks that are in like a semicircle. And then it kind of like connects to like the patio and there's this, this like ratty old like tree and like dead stuff. And I don't really understand what the what they were going there. I don't know. I'm not really sure what they were trying to accomplish with this like mini semicircle because it's not even like it's 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 nicely put somewhere and it's a nice right. display. It's just this weird on like I don't know. I can't even I can't even describe it. Like it's just so dumb. I don't understand what they were going for. <laughs> it's got it's got you puzzled even like, all of these months later. Yes. I mean, we've been in our house for like, you know, a year and a half now. And I just look at it and I'm like, I'm just not sure what they were looking to accomplish by this little like I don't even know. So we got to get rid of these little bricks and then we got to like smooth it all out, make the grass grow in that area. Um, but we will, we will get to it. We will get to it. it. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. And tops has a lot for you, whether it's the sizzle of the grill, popping to open a refreshing drink, crowds cheering for their favorite team. These are the beautiful sounds of football season. And tops is right there with you. Fresh meat, locally grown produce. Tops has everything you need and so much more. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. I've seen in the comments quite a bit here, Marcus Stevenson, uh, Marquez Stevenson is one of seven receivers that make the roster. Uh, I want to let everybody know he's still got a walking boot on. He hasn't even been at the facility. Uh, He's been posting videos on uh, Instagram story, working out a a ton. The overarching um, uh, belief is that the Bills are going to put him on injured reserve once Mm -hmm. they figure out who they want to be their punter. We could talk about that in a minute. But t- let me, I want to take, I want to like step back here for a second and talk a little bit about the Matt Ariza story. I thought, first of all, kudos to you. You and Tim Graham really, um, really killed it the other night on Buffalo Kill- Kickoff Live as this story was kind of breaking. Uh, and we were doing the, uh, the, the, the show in Carolina. It started pouring on us and you guys took over the show. And I, I, I highly recommend anybody that hasn't seen the segment yet, you can watch it over at WIVB.com. But I also want to compliment you on, your questions, your tone in the press conference the next day with Brandon. And I want to ask, now that this story's played out, we have mm-hmm. a couple days removed from when it happened. What are your, your biggest takeaways? What could have been done better? How do you think that the press conference was handled? Just give me some of your thoughts. The biggest thing and the biggest thing for me with this whole story, because I've talked to attorneys on both sides. I've talked to the accuser's attorney. I've talked to Matt Arise's attorney. I've, you know, I've had communication with both of them. Obviously the bills, you know, they put out their statement. We heard from Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. Um, so we've heard from all three, you know, parties involved in this. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing for me was initially the statement that came out on Thursday from the bills. Um, I think that was, that's kind of where it started with just how they handle it all saying they did a thorough examination um, when they, you know, heard about these allegations. And I think, and, and, you know, Brandon Bean, even on Saturday admitted, like if we probably shouldn't have phrased it that way, Mm -hmm. definitely shouldn't have phrased it that way. Because to me, if you're doing a thorough examination, you are diving into every resource at your disposal. And I guess the thing that doesn't sit well with me is that 
the accuser's attorney made the Bills aware of these allegations and reached out to the Bills uh, um, assistant general counsel, the you know their lawyer, and had an email, emailed her. Her name's Catherine, emailed Catherine the next day. He had a phone conversation with her. And that's where the conversation and the communication stopped between the accuser's attorney and the and the bills. And I asked Brandon Bean about that. I said, you know, is, is that true? Did did communication stop? And, you know, did you ever ask to talk to the accuser? And and why? Mm-hmm. Why not? And, you know, he said, well, you know, Catherine was satisfied with what the attorney had to say and something like he thought Brandon thought that the accuser's attorney, um, you know, expected her or um, Catherine expected the attorney's uh, accuser's attorney to call back and didn't follow up, whatever. But, you know, the thing that doesn't sit well with me is the fact that the bills never asked for a statement from the accuser, didn't ask to talk to the accuser herself. Because, I mean, she she's talked to media outlets, obviously being, you know, not revealing her identity or anything, but she's talked to media outlets. And I'm, you know, you don't know if she would have talked to the Bills. Mm-hmm. My guess is she probably would have given her side of the story directly. So I think that, you know, they didn't use all of the resources that could have been available. And that's kind of what doesn't sit well with me. Also, the fact that, you know, the, the Bills knew about this and I think it was like middle of July. And I understand the civil case changes a lot of things. At that point, they were just allegations. But the fact that you didn't bother when, you know, you say you take this very seriously and you take these allegations very seriously, <laughs> I guess I don't understand why it takes a civil lawsuit then for this coming out for you to really act on it, I guess. Um, There were a lot of details in that 11-page lawsuit, things that the Bills clearly didn't know about. But I think that if you're trying to find the facts when you first find out about these allegations, maybe they could have found out about some of these things had they tried to follow up with the accuser's attorney and the accuser herself. That's, that's to me, like, that's the thing that doesn't, that's the thing that I keep going back to. Yeah, I just that that's that's the one thing that that doesn't sit well. The fact, too, that, you know, there there was a report from the AP that I think a couple teams did know something about these allegations against Matariza. Um, it sounds like not too in detail, but they did know about it. So it's just interesting to me that how the bills, how this kind of slipped through the cracks during the uh the the pre-draft process and during the draft process and um listen i know that they look at nfl teams look at so many different nfl prospects you know they're 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 considering so many different players when they're setting up their board and when they're and when they're going through this and going back to the senior bowl and the combine and all of that i get it you can't do like a private investigation on every single player that you might like and consider uh you know drafting but it's kind of interesting. I just feel like, you know, wouldn't you think that the second you draft a guy, you're like, all right, now we really have to like, now that we know that this is our guy and this guy is on our team, like you would think that you would somehow you'd be able to dig into this stuff and find it, especially if other NFL executives have told the AP that they did know, maybe not to the extent of what came out, but they they knew something of of uh, of this. So it, it's a bad look. Um you know, the perception is not good. 
ultimately they came to the right decision of, of cutting him. And now just, it's about moving forward. You know, um, you know, I asked Mitch Morse about this in the locker room yesterday. He's obviously one of the veteran leaders on this team. I said, you know, how do you guys, what have the past couple of days been like, how do you move forward? And, you know, he gave some very, very thoughtful, um, honest answers about about it he said it led to some healthy conversations in the locker room so um you just got to hope that guys can now you know they now that that's this is uh behind them at least from a player and a team perspective um at least that it's done and and now they can look ahead to a game that they've got in less than two weeks at this point you know for me the biggest takeaway is i've always respected brandon bean for the emphasis that he puts on the character check during the draft process, right? Like if, if there's medical concerns, you drop on their board or maybe they take you off their board. There's character concerns. They do the same. I think that this type of experience probably should allow Brandon Bean internally without all of his staff to say, okay, we need to prioritize that part of it more. Even once people are on our roster. Right. Right. Because I think that's the biggest problem that most people have with it is that you're right. In the end, I've seen I'm seeing this in a lot of the in the comments right now. They did ultimately do the right thing. They did ultimately move on from Matariza, but it was almost like they were backed into a corner to do it. And I think that's the part of it that doesn't really sit right with with a majority of people. And and listen, I I get it. A lot of people want to push this off to the side and move on to the next topic. But, you know, you have to learn from mistakes, right? Like you have to, you know, talk about some of the stuff that happened in this situation, especially if you're the bills more. So if you're on the bills to kind of avoid these problems in the future, historically, they tend to let these things fester a long time, right? They, they kept LaShawn McCoy through everything. Ultimately that worked out for them before they ultimately released them. They kept Tyrell Dotson uh, with the domestic issue that he had that ultimately worked out that, that went away. He's still on the roster. The Jake Fromm thing. I thought that they probably should have moved on from him almost immediately. They, they found a way to work that out and he stayed on the roster for a long time. I just wonder moving forward yeah. if they won't be a little bit more swift in these moments. Yeah. And I think too, again, I understand because I, like I've seen, I've seen every response to this good, bad, whatever people think I, I get it. They moved on. They made the decision. But it's our job to to ask these questions because it again, the perception of it is not good. The fact that it took a civil lawsuit, which had disturbing graphic, um, horrific details about what allegedly happened, details that I'm sure the bills did not know, but. When you make when you know that there's a rumbling of this and I'm, I'm just curious to know to what extent the bills, what they knew, um, you know, even if they knew that there was something along the lines of this possibly happening of of a lawsuit possibly happening, whether civil or criminal, something could happen. The fact that you look at the timeline, too, they knew about this in July which was before they made the decision to cut Matt Hawk and move on with Matt Ariza. Even if you didn't know about this in graphic detail, you still knew that this was festering. Like something 
something could possibly come of this. And so the per, I say the perception because the perception does not look good. It basically looks like you were hoping that this nothing was going to happen and nothing was going to come to light. And then you reach that decision to cut him because of the, the outrage and because of everything that's happened. So I think that that's something that doesn't sit well with me, might not sit well with a lot of other people. The fact that they make the decision to move on with him, knowing that there are character questions, that there are um, allegations out there. Again, it wasn't in a civil lawsuit yet, but they knew. They knew that that there was something there. And, you know, that they still moved on from him so or they still kept him moved on from Matt Hawk so um for as for as good as the bills have been with character culture it's just it's just kind of interesting to me that knowing that something could come out um that they they felt with that information they felt okay keeping him after that mm-hmm. so. I think where we go next is going to be really interesting and um and I shouldn't say we, I mean, I more mean the bills where they go next is going to be interesting because there's a couple of veteran punters out on the market. Brett Kern, obviously the most popular one. Um, Sam Martin is out there. The Cincinnati Bengals released there. I think it was Drew Christian. Um, uh, if I'm saying his name properly uh, today. So there is options out there a plenty. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see which direction they go because Brandon being cleared some money uh, recently with the deal that he restructured with Deion Dawkins. Um, they have some money to spend. Obviously the Odell Beckham Jr. stuff out there, that's going to continue to percolate until he does find a home. You'd figure you'd probably need six-ish million to even start a conversation with him. Um, and if you will after Brett Kern, I mean, I think he still thinks he's going to be worth, you know, anywhere from one and a half to two and a half million dollars, depending on what that looks like. Are you more uh, on the side that Bill should go for an established punter or just go out there and find somebody that can punt? Because at the end of the day, I don't know how important that job is. It's why I I thought it was kind of silly, really, for them to even bring Matt Hawk back, knowing that they spent a six-round draft pick on a guy. I always kind of just said, give the ball or give the job to whoever you have on your roster. This is a team that if you're relying on your punter, there's going to be problems. Right. And that's the, that that's kind of where I stand. It's like, I don't think that as much as you want someone that's going to be able to come in and have kind of a seamless transition. And, um, you know, obviously speaking in a, in a football sense with Matt Ariza, the big question was his holding ability because uh, he didn't mm. do much of it in college. You know, there's for as much as and you know, I know we go back to the conversation we just had about special teams, about how much the bills value special teams, but there's a difference between valuing it and, you know, how much are you actually going to use a guy, a punter like that? Um, you know, you you look at there were games where like the way that this offense performs and the expectations for this offense, I don't think that you need to go out and like break the bank or do anything that's going to really affect your cap or or on, on the flip side, too. Like, you, I don't think you need to go out and do anything that's going to financially put you in a bind where you're spending money on a veteran punter that now that money that you wanted to allocate somewhere else that now you can't do that. Um, So, I mean, I think too, even the fact that the bills did draft a punter and the fact that they were going to go, you know, kind of skew on like the younger side, whatever. I think that also shows you putting aside 
his abilities and his punting abilities and his strong leg and everything. I think that in itself shows you the direction that the Bills want to go, that they do feel comfortable bringing in a less, you know, established guy in the NFL, that they're not necessarily, they don't feel the need to go out and get like this veteran that has, you know, 10 plus years of experience. As cool of a, a story as it would be to have Brett Kern come and play for his hometown team and everything like that, I just don't think that money-wise, I don't think that that's a position that they need to sink a ton of money into given the expectations for this offense and given what Josh Allen and, and the rest of those guys are expected to and, and should do. Ton of other like little nuggets I want to get into before I let you get out of here. We'll go for another five or 10 minutes here. The Bills on their offensive line, uh, they decided, interestingly enough, I don't, I don't know if I saw a lot of 53-man projections without seeing... Greg Mance on there. I think everybody thought he was making this team. Now he's dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, They had Greg Van Roten come in here late in the process. And I think he's got some versatility can be their backup center in a pinch. What were your thoughts on how the offensive line looks? Bobby Hart, obviously making the roster. He's somebody that I've talked about. He's looked good the last three to four weeks. I think that he's really been, um, you know, he's seen a, 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 a shift in the narrative of his career. And now he's in a situation where there's an injury or two, he could actually be on the field in an NFL game for a good football team. Yeah, I think with Greg, that that was another thing too that I looked at. I honestly think that it probably just came down to when you're looking at the offensive line and the depth they have there with the guys that are outside of their projected five, I think it probably just came down to availability. Like, like Greg Mance dealt with a lot of injuries throughout this preseason. He was in and out. I think that, you know, the, the durability factor probably came into play there and they're sitting there saying, all right, well, we've got all these guys that can play, you know, all of these different positions that why take a chance on someone that could possibly get hurt again, who's not our starting five or who's not, you know, projected to be um, to play a lot of snaps for us, things like that. That's kind of why I think maybe they, they veered toward veered away from him is that injury factor. I mean, that's really the only thing that that I could think of is there were a lot of practices we were out at St. John Fisher where he wasn't he wasn't available and he was just kind of working mm-hmm. off to the side or whatever. So that's kind of where I think that he lost a step in that. Balen Spector makes the roster. Uh, Andre Smith. Yeah, Balen Spector's a great story. I love, I am, I'm so, like, I, lo- I love what he did this preseason. I was very high on Balen Spector. I really love what he did. Well, he played a lot of special team snaps too. I think he was among the top three or four when I went back and looked at the numbers. He and so he had a- like he, he right. had a lot of special teams experience at Clemson, which I'm sure is a reason that they were attracted to him in the, the draft process too. You know, he's not going to see the field as a linebacker anytime soon. I mean, Tyrell Dotson, Terrell Bernard ahead of him on the depth chart. I think in a pinch, they'd probably even go Tyler Medikevich. But there's a chance for him to have a role on special teams. And I don't think that they wanted a chance losing him. Andre Smith's on the suspended list. He's going to miss the first six games. When he comes back, then that's going to be interesting. They'll have to maybe do some some roster manipulation to try to get Spectre back on their practice squad, I would imagine. I don't think they're going to keep seven um, linebackers, but it's a good story. It's somebody that had a really good training camp and a good preseason, and he gets rewarded for that. Yeah, I love what he did. You know, he he's a guy that, you know, he – he really took advantage of the snaps that he got. In fact, I was actually going through um, the box scores of everything and he actually led 
the the Bills and tackles in all three preseason games. Um, you know, made a couple of really nice plays, had some pass breakups. Again, he's not going to see the field as a linebacker, but um, the fact that though he was. I think the thing that sh- that stands out is his ability to take advantage of those snaps when he was out there, um, you know, maybe showing some promise, you know, years down the road, things like that, especially for a seventh round guy. Uh, I-, I really love what Balen Spector was able to do. Speaking of really loving something, I really love Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more from your child's first first birthday party to your holiday fees, Sunday football to backyard barbecues and every meal in between tops is proud to have been at your table for the past 60 years and looks forward to 60 more tops at your table since 1962. All right, Heather Prusak, let everybody know where they can find your work. Um, what, what you got cooking here as we kind of move here into the next, uh, first week of the NFL season. Yeah, crazy that we're uh, we're already you know a week from Thursday. Things get underway for real. Yeah, so Twitter, you got my Twitter handle up there at ha prusak. We've got a lot of really great features online. wivb.com slash sports. You obviously are involved in uh, our pregame show, Buffalo Kickoff Live. We'll have a show coming up. I believe it's this Wednesday, the day before the opener. We'll have a show, um, and then before every single game, we've got an hour long pregame show. Lots of really great stuff in there. Can't wait to do a one of the segments uh, I do on Buffalo Kickoff Live. It's called Five Questions. It's you know a um, little bit of football mixed in there, but a lot of like really fun stuff. Kind of getting to know these guys, their personalities. We know there's so many great personalities on this team. Um, lining up Von Miller for the opener, so can't wait to. But that's always listen to Von Miller, even just. Even just hearing the stuff he had to say in the preseason, I mean, he was just soundbite gold talking about fans sending him toilet paper and, uh, you know, feeding Greg Rousseau gunpowder and and what was gunpowder and gasoline. Got to get the gasoline in there, too. Gasoline, gunpowder and gasoline. And um, so it's, oh, you know, love, love hearing Von Miller. So that should be a really, really great interview coming up Um, again. That's on Buffalo Kickoff Live an hour before um, leading up to the opener on Thursday. So yeah, we got a lot of really great stuff coming up. Really, really excited for the season and um, yeah, should be a good one. A plus uh, fill in uh, tonight, Heather Prusak. Thank you so much. Ryan Talbot sends his love and says, thank you for uh, uh, sharing this evening with us. Great job. Absolutely. Anytime, you know, you know how to get hold of me. And I'm sorry. And I got to say, I'm sorry that I'm at work right now. So I'm sorry that we couldn't have any auto, um, uh, any, any auto uh, appearances because anytime I, um, you know, do anything, he's, he's my right hand man. So I apologize to everybody that we could not get auto on, but um, a new season of AutoZone is coming up as well, where both auto and I, uh, pick the games and Otto. Otto, I think finished around 500 last year. So he's he's he's, he's moving up. He's moving up. I, I he might have been actually one game over five. So he's he's uh, there's professional. He's, there's professional betters that don't have a rate as good as that. So that's what I mean, that's what, so Otto is moving up in his rankings. So we got another great season of AutoZone coming up as well. So next time I'm on, I will be sure to uh, have the have the puppy uh, ready for his his appearance. All right. For Heather Prusak, I am Matt Perino. Ryan will be back uh, later this week as we kick things off. Uh, We'll have uh, at least one more show this week, and then we'll talk about our schedule uh, for the start of the season. Uh, There's rumblings that maybe Brandon Bean 
Uh, we'll be talking tomorrow. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll have coverage from that. Head over to Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com uh, for all your coverage. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.